minimalists. <laughs> All right, everyone. We are here with Sheila Moravati from Habits of Waste. We've got some surprise questions today, and I thought we would dive into those in a moment. But first, we, we do this little segment called More About Less, where you usually read an article or something as a jump-off point for a discussion. I just pulled up your website because you have a call-to-action section here. And I was thinking maybe instead of reading uh, an article, what we could do is we could just go through a few things here because um, this is more all-encompassing than crayons and plastic straws, obviously. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, we all need an impetus for, for, for something. But um, you talk about plastic straws and cutlery. Can we talk about the, the problem that we don't even think about with respect to, yeah. to cutlery? Because it's everywhere. I noticed on your website you've got a petition even. Because if I order something from Postmates, I'll even put, like, do not put silverware. I'll put it in the comments. Sometimes they give me options to check something. Mm-hmm. And it will still arrive with cutlery. Yes. So um, after the Malibu straw and cutlery ban, plastic straw and cutlery ban, people kept coming up to me and saying, I have this drawer and it's filled with plastic cutlery and it's driving me crazy. I feel so guilty to throw it away. I never asked for this, but I keep on receiving plastic cutlery with all my takeout orders. Um, And I just started looking at it a little more deeply and realized that it's a difference in the default setting can make such a difference for the planet. Mm -hmm. So 40 billion pieces of plastic cutlery are produced per year with the intention to be thrown away after a single use. I mean, that is really the sole purpose of plastic cutlery. And when you receive, uh, when you place an order, the default setting on Uber Eats, Postmates, Grubhub, and DoorDash has always been for you to opt out of plastic cutlery. Mm. That doesn't work. So opting into something versus opting out is a huge sociological, um, you know, theory on on human behavior your computer right there comes with default settings that you may never even touch right you just assume this is the way it is and i'm gonna just work with it you hope they set it up the best for you but it's not always set up the best for you (laughs) if you really look into it you're right there might be some great things in there that we don't even look at but it might be much better so what we decided to do was change the default setting for plastic cutlery and condiments for uber eats and postmates asking them to give people the opportunity to only receive cutlery when they opt in versus Mm. opt out. I like that. And so we wrote this letter and it's all on our website and people click once and the email's already written, uh, addressed and everything. And it got sent to all the companies listening, whoever's listening today, we need your help because there's still two companies that are not compliant, which are Grubhub and DoorDash. And until Grubhub and DoorDash jump in, you may receive plastic cutlery, even if you're ordering from Postmates and Uber Eats. Mm. The reason why is because all these restaurants are serving all four of these food delivery applications. And the person in the back is like, did this one have the opt-in or the opt-out? Which one was it? And You know, they're working so fast trying to fill these orders. It's really tough. Um, I actually signed an NDA and I worked with the engineers at Uber Eats to take the user from start to finish and getting them through the the whole complicated journey of opting in versus opting out. And by the way, when I say complicated, it really is. Mm-hmm. Whatever is outward facing on these food delivery applications, are it's really like the prime real estate for them. So um, we talked a lot about how to make it as easy as possible. And so now you'll see that hopefully soon Grubhub and DoorDash will join in. But the minute we got Postmates and Uber Eats on board, the first thing they said is, can we get off your email list now? Mm. Those emails work. And like I said earlier, as consumers, we have the power. And if we're able to say, stop bombarding us with all this junk, then our voices will be heard. But if we don't say anything and we just keep stuffing it in a drawer, feeling guilty to throw it away, we'll never get anywhere. Right. Now, these companies have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, but one of the ways to uphold that is to please their customers. And, And so if this is what you want as one of their customers, they do want to accommodate you, especially when that's happening in mass. And, and we have thousands of people who are sending in uh, these emails. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So you all can just literally go on there, click it. I'm going to do it myself. And, and I would encourage you to do it as well. Go ahead and click it. We can send the letters off. It's really, really simple. It's not like you have to print anything out and get a stamp and mail it. It's an email, right? It's an email. And we're supporting restaurants to spend less money. Yes. Also, I mean, why it's like t- spending, putting your money just straight into the toilet. 
Why? Right. Why yeah. should they have to do that for us? Because Uber Eats isn't buying this cutlery for no. them. It's forcing the restaurant to buy more inventory. I do want to talk to you about that, though. Be, be, uh, pandemic waste in general. So we're in the middle of mm-hmm. uh, of COVID-19. And and while I remember that first couple months, remember how clean Los Angeles's air yeah. was for the first time that I had ever seen it. It was amazing. And, but that's because far fewer people were driving, mm-hmm. right? But also we were started producing waste in all of these other ways, right? And I, I think understandably so. Like even this building, we're, we're in a co-working space here where we, we own the studio space, but we have access to all these other amenities, which is great to share. But we used to have, we had to buy our own glasses because they no longer, they, they, were, they stopped um, uh, providing the, the, the sort of reusable uh, glassware and mugs or whatever. Um, even now, I see Jordan using a, 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 a throwaway cup that we always would just use the 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 ones they provided here, right? But they took that away. And I noticed a lot of restaurants are doing that as well, where no longer is it an option to have a you know a, a plate that they would provide to you and wash. And and I, I understand the, the the panic behind that, but is there a way that we can combat that in the meantime? I mean, honestly, it's this fear right now that has brought the plastic industry back Mm. and all the all the amazing steps forward that we took kind of went backwards like 20 steps. And unfortunately, um, it it really was playing on the fear. You know, there was many arbitrary rules that kind of came up out of nowhere, but it was really just because people were unsure of what happened. Now that we know more, I think the bans are coming back and things are happening. But once again, um, I really strongly believe that we all have a responsibility from the moment we wake up in the morning till the moment we go to bed. And that is what my organization, Habits of Waste, is all about. It's like, where can you make different decisions? Where can you pivot and change slightly to just make things a little less wasteful every single day? And right now, unfortunately, like like you said, we can't take our reusables. I, I can't take my bags to the grocery store. Right. Um, but my farmer's market just came back and I know I can take them there. And I'm so grateful for that because, again, I was even being bombarded with plastic and I was doing almost zero plastic prior to the pandemic. So um, we're taking control back again. And I'm really happy about that because I do feel like we are on to something a little bit brighter as far as the environment goes. I agree. Uh, I, I would say you don't look at this as a permanent thing. It's a temporary setback. We need to have that mindset, obviously. But but also we need to, we can't panic right now. We also can't change change our own mindset of, oh, I guess plastic's okay all of a sudden now. Well, no, maybe it is okay in an emergency situation where it makes sense that we have to, we have to deal with some of these things. But even then we can try to mitigate it wherever possible. Exactly. So let's talk about, because you talk about personal responsibility. We've got a few surprise questions here from Peter and Zach and Kaziah. All three of these I thought tied in really well with regulation versus personal responsibility. I think you and I are probably on the same page here where uh, in order to really tackle this problem, it sounds like it requires both sides of that equation. We call it the sandwich. Okay, there we go. So maybe I'll I'll, I'll ask you some of these questions. We'll start with Peter. How do we build monetary benefits into reducing waste in order to motivate brands to reduce their packaging? Here in the EU, we recycle a lot, but I guess we'll need to eliminate the waste coming in, especially unnecessary packaging. I think that's an important question because I think there's also a lot of waste that we just don't even see Mm -hmm. that the the end user, the consumer does not see because it's all the waste sort of it's underneath the iceberg. It's everything that's under the surface. Yeah, I mean, he's right. It's true. And the, the, the reality is that there is a disparity here, though, you know. Unfortunately, in in some of the more underserved populations, this this really isn't even an option. Right. one of the things that we learned through this work that we've done is we went to a school right here in the inner city of Los Angeles. And our goal was for schools to start providing less plastic for the kids. Yeah. Um, our, we had a four-part work series where we were teaching the kids at the beginning, how much plastic do you use? And then we were going to audit them at the end and find out what, what we did. Huh. We had an environmental expert there. We had a social justice professor from UCLA. We had us and even Attention Media was there to show the kids how to use social media to help them. 
In a very quick amount of time, we learned that all the reusable water bottles that we had planned to give these kids so that they can switch from plastic water bottles were going to be, it was going to be pointless because um, the water fountains were so disgusting. I mean, it was unbelievable to see. And I came in with this really great wide-eyed attempt to fix this, and we brought in um, donors who gave us new hydration stations for the school. We had 11 of them. Uh And um, unfortunately, the schools just wouldn't allow us to make those modifications. They wanted over $10,000 to install these water fountains. What ended up happening, though, was the school, we found out, makes a lot of money on selling the water bottles. And so they continue to keep the fountains really, really dirty. I mean, it was like black soot. And there's a video of it, of it on our website, actually, uh, called L.A. Green Teen. And it talks about kids, you know, having to drink milk because they don't have money to pay for water. And by the end of the day, they're so thirsty. Uh, many of them are getting headaches and things like that. So you know, maybe this is a little bit of a off-topic question, but there is a lot of money to be made here for different industries. And, you know, Los Angeles Unified School District is one of them. They are making money selling water bottles to kids that really can't afford them. So it is, you know, while it's amazing to say, like, let's take our reusables, let's divert and not be a consumer of certain things, there are environments in which this is actually impossible. It reminds me of this... Upton Sinclair quote, which I I pulled up so I didn't get it wrong. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. And that's exactly what's happening in a school district like that, where it's like, hey, you're cutting off a, we're willing to to do the wrong thing in order to, to make money. It's the reason we don't do ads on our podcast. Thank goodness for all of our Patreon supporters who listen because they allow us to pay for the space, pay for Sean and Jordan and Jessica. And and, and without them, we, you know, we would either be forced to do ads or we wouldn't be able to do it in a space like this with guests. And so um, it's really difficult because we would make a ton of money with the size of our audience if we just peppered in a few advertisements. But it's incongruent with the the message that we're, we're trying to put out there, but it's also incongruent with my own values. And and I, I think that what we want to do and we have an, an option is we want to work with businesses or individuals who are more value-driven than profit-driven. It's not to say there's anything inherently wrong with money. I'm not allergic to money, but I'm, I'm allergic to it being in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it does need to be a consideration. And I, obviously for a place like the, the, the school district, you don't have another option, especially these kids. It's not like they can say, well, I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Right. It doesn't work that You're way. stuck there eight hours a day. And, you know, it's, it's a really big bureaucracy to try and convince a behemoth like LAUSD to allow us to come in and refurbish their water fountains. We tested the water. Water was okay. But the fountains are bad. And they're like, sorry, 10000 each where the water, you know, filtration companies said that's very strange we've never had to pay over maybe 800 to 1500 dollars to install these so you know there's a lot there they told us it's union they told us a million other reasons why it had to be so expensive and even buzzfeed did a video on us to try and help us raise money to help these kids at least get one water filtration unit in and even that didn't work so we're still on it but with the school closures we had to put a pause in it and that's that's really a mission of mine to get make sure that these kids have water when they go to school because i'm a mom i want you know i have that innate feeling that this is just not fair yeah well speak speak to me about the drink tap initiative so that kind of falls into uh, again why are we using plastic water bottles i did a little background study on it and in the 1980s the first time we really saw plastic water bottles come into our awareness was at new york city fashion week where the models are walking down the runway beautifully dressed completely gorgeous but carrying evian water bottles in plastic and this was kind of one of those things where people were like are they out of their mind are they really trying to tell us we're going to buy water in a plastic bottle right and before you know it all the ladies in the fashiony high society world were like well if you want better skin better hair you want to look like those models we got to buy this water bottle wow so 
that started the trend that just skyrocketed. And now you've got this incredible marketing prowess of this multi-billion dollar industry having beautiful celebrities like Jennifer Aniston drinking her water and having electrolytes and all these additives. Doctors say this is all BS. We don't mm -hmm. actually need all of that. Tap water that's filtered is just fine. The tap water that we have access to is regulated much more stringently than bottled water. So the EPA regulates our tap water, yeah. whereas the FDA, which is much less stringent, regulates the, t the plastic water bottles that you see. Right. Many times those plastic water bottles are actually being filled with tap water. <laughs> But it's just <laughs> advertising and it's just a way in which we're being fooled on a daily basis to purchase more and to, uh, again, generate more waste. And as we talked about, those plastic bottles are not getting recycled. So it's imperative for me to understand what is the core problem. And the core problem now is that we don't trust our tap water. Mm. But in reality you're drinking it anyway in those plastic water bottles. Many right. of them have openly, because they're obligated to openly state that that's actually tap water in there. Sure. So let's talk about this for a second, right? Yeah. What, what can we do differently? How about we learn about what's in our tap water before saying no to it? And again, on our website, we provide that. You can learn all about your tap water in your area. And yes, everybody here is going to start emailing us and say, well, what about Flint? What about Flint? And Flint is a really unfortunate situation that never should have happened. Yeah. But there are many, many, many cities in this country that have great water. Look at New York. They're so proud of their water. It's New York's finest. But guess what? They marketed it that way. So uh -huh. people trust it. Same thing in L.A. Los Angeles is so proud of their water. But here's the other thing. All these water departments are responsible for getting you perfectly clean water up until your doorstep, basically. Mm -hmm. If the building is very old and the pipes need, need changing, and that will definitely affect the taste, flavor, and look of the water. So that is something that we have to be mindful of. Like, it is a reality we need to face. But at the point where the water hits your building, the cities are responsible for making sure that it is clean and healthy to drink. Yeah, I have a reverse osmosis filter at home. It was a thing we had to uh, get installed and you know it was it was a uh, maybe $170 it was not it was not cheap but it's way cheaper i mean when you add up the, what you would spend even just monetarily on buying the plastic bottles forget about the waste for a second i mean i think that's one of the incentives here is it's saving a ton of money over the long term and oh by the way i'm doing something good i'm not producing that waste and oh also, this water is probably a lot better than what I'm going to get from who knows what's in those tap uh, the, 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 those And the leaching bottles. of the plastic on top of it yeah, that goes BPAs. in the water, all that. The other thing I want to also mention is I'm always very mindful of all different walks of life. So we have many immigrants here that come from s countries where they really cannot drink their water. But when they come here, they are really in a financial struggle and they're using their food stamps and those type of, you know, supported uh, government supported funding for food on plastic water bottles. Wow. Whereas they could spend even $15 on a Brita filter that's on the counter to just be that, get that, you know, extra support. You, if you talk to the city of LA, for example, they'll say you don't even need that. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I like filtered water personally. So here's a Brita filter, you throw it in there and you've got great water. Again, that is a really big issue because it's about food insecurity that's being definitely uh, strained even further because of the fear of drinking tap water. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it's a problem that we don't even realize a problem, but it almost feels to me like we need we need a, a Brad Pitt and a Bella Thorne to be the advertisers for tap water. We need someone who, who can com combat. Of course, there is no real money in that. Or I don't know, maybe we could find a way where there would be money in that. But you need you need people who are perceived to be cool to make it cool again to to drink tap water and, and realize that that. Uh, buying the Aquafina bottle or whatever is not going to make you a, a better or more whole human being. Yeah, Brad, are you listening? <laughs> we would really like for you to be our spokesperson for, for Drink Tap. But we do have some positive to say. At LAX now, you see there's hydration stations everywhere. People yeah. are starting to bring their empty water bottles through the gate or through the security. And then once they get to the gate, there's like a line of people ready to refill. Right. So we do have some positive hope. Also, I want to say that, you know, like you said, celebrities are great. You know, if they can get behind stuff like this, so many people follow. But doctors are also really important these days. And I think that's a very huge, uh, 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 like, 
they talk to a huge audience right now. We're all kind of waiting to see what do our doctors say and think. Ask your doctor, what do you think about tap water? And let them tell you because more times than not, they are actually huge advocates of tap water. Dr. Nina Shapiro wrote a book called Hype and she talks all about the hype in different things. And she's has a whole chapter on water and how t- filtered tap water is the best thing your body can drink versus um, plastic with all these additives and electrolytes and this and that. It's all hype, she says. Yeah, it's hype, and then it can also be bad for you. You know, the the leaching plastic is is you know uh, the amount of plastic that is in our bodies compared to the average American or average human fifty years ago is mm-hmm. astronomically higher. A huge, huge problem to try to chelate those plastics and get them out of your body once they're there. A few other things on on your website here, habitsofwaste.org. You talk about media and palm oil. Which one of those should we tackle right now? I really like media. Uh, I mean, palm oil is huge too, guys. It's a very simple thing. Read the ingredients. If it has palm oil, please don't buy it. That's as easy as it gets with the palm oil. Okay, you want to um, read more about that? It's on the website. Yeah, that's a, that's like the say goodbye to Nutella. Sorry, guys. I know that's a tough one to say goodbye to, but Nutella is like the first thing I showed my kids. I'm like, look, Oreo cookies, look, all these things. And they're, they looked at the videos that we had created about what's happening with the rainforest out there that, you know, the deforestation that happens for those palm oil. And the kids are just like, I'm not eating that anymore. Good. So, But there are alternatives. There you don't are. have to go with, without Nutella. No. There's the... Nutella alternative. Yes, definitely. Enjoy life, but just read the ingredients. It's so simple. Um, What we were going to talk about media. So one of the things that I've been working very hard on as well is trying to get plastic off screen. Many people are focused on the actual production company and how much trash is is created when you're in the back and trying to eat and how much plastic water bottles are. That's a big problem too. But what's more important to me at this moment is how set designers and set decorators are trying to emulate society in their scenes Mm -hmm. whereas society is emulating film so it's this like horribly vicious cycle of where do we stop this right so um i was able to get one one of my friends who's a director to listen and he actually created a scene where he took it really far there was no plastic water bottles in the scene it was a kitchen cafeteria at like a at like a we work type environment Mm -hmm. There were only reusables there. And he actually put it in the scene like, I need a drink, get me a drink, but I don't want a plastic straw, metal straw only, don't forget. You know, like he wrote it in, yeah. that's a lot. But I, I just think like if there's a restaurant scene, we don't even have plastic water bottles at dinner at a restaurant normally. So like why bring that into the scene? Just, just use a you know pitcher of water like this mm-hmm. that we have right here in front of us or a glass bottle or something like that. Let's get the plastic off. The plastic bag to the grocery store. Like who really has that uh, that often anymore? So yeah, it's if it's a character, well, fine. But like if it's a family going to the market in a regular, you know, suburban town, more times than not, they all have reusables. So put those in. Right. You know, you know, I don't consider myself an environmentalist necessarily. I'm afraid of putting that label on me. Although I'm very intentional about what I consume because I, I, I just want to be really conscious of, of what waste we're producing. When we go out on tour, uh, we have one of the most simple riders that you could ever uh, give to a venue. Literally, it's uh, for our whole team, it's eight bottles of water in glass bottles. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that the venues, they don't ever like, they don't, they don't see that, uh, that that one difference, like it throws off their whole routine. Now, thankfully, we're so low maintenance. We're not asking for the brown M&Ms or, yeah. or a, a dinner plate or whatever. Like we're literally asking for water and microphones. We're the easiest to deal with. But that one thing, um, it's, it, it breaks their pattern. But then you start talking to the people who are you know, fulfilling those orders and they're like, I wonder why more people don't ask for this. Well, it's just because... What has become normal is that, yeah, just give us water, whatever you have. Well, you can ask for glass bottles. It's yeah. it's a little bit different. Or you can ask for tap or, or, or whatever it is in, in that city. And and it's going it's a small, small tweak that when you add it up makes a huge difference. Because they're they're providing giant bottles of water and for every single night, for every act, not to mention the audience, et cetera. And I think if you can make that small shift, it has it has a it has a big influence on on the way that the people 
are consuming. So even we're out on stage and people see like, okay, we have a, a glass. I'm holding a glass like this one. Uh, I'm not I'm not drinking from a you know Arrowhead plastic bottle. I think it makes a big difference. That's the impact. That's the ripple effect. That's breaking the norm right there and starting to create a new one. By the way, before plastic bottles became so popular, that's exactly how it started to get into to infiltrate society. It's not like plastic bottles were here all the time, right? Mm -hmm. We we never you never see a talk show host with a plastic bottle back in the 70s and 80s, right? You'd only see glass and that was it. And then suddenly it became cool because of thanks to like the New York Fashion Week and things like that. So there was a reason why we became uh, to, we got to the point of a million plastic bottles per minute. It, it developed over time. Now we have to undo that. Yeah, it's dumb too. They're aesthetically ugly. Like if you if you even care about aesthetics, like the the sustainable options are almost always more beautiful as well. And 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 so to me, I think aesthetic. I think aesthetics are, are really important. They're not the important thing, but um, there's a reason a flower is beautiful. It attracts the you know the bees, right? And, and if it was an ugly flower, it's not going to attract the bees. I think the same is true with the things that we have in our life. I'm not against things. Uh, I, I'm against having the wrong things in mm -hmm. our life. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that the average plastic bottle is is almost always the wrong thing to have. Maybe if you're in the desert and you're you're dying of thirst, then yeah. we'll allow it, right? I'm with you. <laughs> so um, let's talk about a few things here. A few other questions that are uh, along the lines of regulation versus personal responsibility. Here, Zach says, "Can you explain the importance of individual action versus?" Uh, regulation. When, when I spend hours researching, quote, free package free soap, I finally get one. But then I open the news and read that the planet is still on fire. <laughs> uh, it's hard to keep motivated, even if we are the passionate and informed ones. I mean, it seems to me, uh, Sheila, that, that that's a bad expectation. If all of a sudden you buy what package free soap and you expect the world to stop burning. Um, that's probably the wrong expectation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true. Sometimes you do feel a little bit, you know, hopeless, right? It does feel bad out there sometimes. But I do think that, you know, there's almost 8 billion of us on this planet. So we need to really think about how um, I do this example every time we actually have an in-person event. And I, I hope this will inspire your, your listener. Um, what we do is basically we light a candle and we ask each person to light a candle. And and we recognize that if that, you know, there's a gap of like five people who decide I'm just one candle, I'm not going to light mine. And then another 10 over there, I'm just one candle, I'm not going to light mine. Wow. All of a sudden you have this like very spotty kind of like weak looking table of like no candles lit because everyone thinks, well, I'm just one. Yes. I don't matter. So what we do is we ask everybody to light their candle and hold it up so that we can see that several hundred candles are lit. Again, this was pre-COVID, so we could do this. And right. it's such a great example of how much you matter. Because if you don't do it and the person next to you, everyone's like, I'm just one person. But in actuality, I think the flip side of what he's saying might be helpful is like, tell your friends how good your new package-free soap is. Mm. Post about it. Tell tell 10 people, hey, by the way, I got this new soap and it's awesome. Yeah. Try it. And that's actually one of our newest campaigns that's not on our site yet, but will be. It's called Bars Over Bottles, where we're telling people get out there and try all these new products that are super, super cool. Mm -hmm. um, you don't even need to have one ounce of plastic in your shower anymore because there's so much good stuff now that you really aren't missing a thing. So we'll help you. We'll be, we'll be right there behind you on those package-free soaps to try and push that campaign forward. But the point is that you do matter, and it is important to recognize that each, each step of the day, each step of the way, your decisions count. Kaziah, uh, in the same line, Kaziah has a question here. What can I do to limit waste? Is there a checklist for living a green life? I don't know about a checklist. Maybe you do. What I love to do is, you know, try and take advantage of all the things that your city offers you. So one of the things that we do at my house, which is awesome, is the compost is done for us. So mm. for example, all the trash that I create when I'm making a salad or whatever goes into a separate pile and it actually just gets dumped into the green bin with all the garden stuff. 
that's what the city of LA offers us. So why not take advantage of it? So I don't even have to compost anymore. I just throw it in there and it goes in with all the tree trimmings and it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, if I was gardening and like I had a little bit of leaves and stuff, I'd throw it in there. So what's the difference between that and all the vegetables that I'm peeling or whatever else? So that right there has decreased my trash output by a ton. So I recommend, you know, read your city's website. They have so many services for you that they just aren't able to communicate very well. And that is actually why Drink Tap is one of the biggest things we're going to be doing is supporting cities in communication excuse me, communicating, Mm. giving them the tools to reach their constituents and say, hey, this is what we're providing you with. Take advantage of it. That is one of the saddest things I see out there because the cities are like, trust your tap water or we provide this service. And it's so quietly said and like in a newsletter or in a small email and no one's even opening it. So dig in a little bit. You might find some really great resources. They're not good at marketing. So in many ways, you need to market to yourself. You need to inform yourself of, of what is available because and they're not good at marketing for several reasons. One is they can't attract the great statisticians and demographers that a Facebook can, can attract and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But also they don't have the budgets to, to market these things that are, are available and they want you to take advantage of them if you're a resident of the city or state in which they're available. It's just finding those those things that are available. That, it's that up to you. That is the bridge. That is the gap right now that we've learned the most of through Habits of Waste is definitely cities need our help to communicate. Yeah, yeah, and so you can do that for your own city. You can you can you can be the bridge yourself. You can, uh, Kaziah, you you can find out what your your city or state offers and then you can inform the people around you you know it it spreads you know, the reason our podcast has become uh, so well known isn't because we've ever had anything that's gone viral it doesn't work that way it's that you share it with your sister and your sister shares it with her mother and her mother shares it with her brother and 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 it's word of mouth and the same thing is true for your city if you get to take advantage of something that's there that you didn't know about, chances are the people around you didn't know about it either. Let's see here. We have a question here from Jacob. Do paper straws and sip cups, sip cup lids really help? Um, so paper sip cup lids, paper straws. Well, what are your thoughts on, on, on the paper straws? I mean, obviously you prefer them to plastic, but they're probably not the best alternative either. So for me, I believe in lifting the cup up to my mouth and drinking. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my way, actually. So I'm not really a straw lover. Yeah, I say it so smoothly, right? (laughs) Nobody even thinks about what I'm about to tell them. It's like such a mind-blowing thing. Um, But I definitely, I'm not really a straw person. I've never really needed them. I do want to put a disclaimer out there. I did go to the city of New York to try and help them with the ban of plastic straws. And there was a very big population of uh, folks with disabilities who made sure that we understood that it is really, really, really important for them to have plastic straws. So Mm -hmm. I want to put that out there that we are not trying to be insensitive to anyone's needs. Um, What I believe is there's a lot of reusable alternatives that you can use that actually are better than the paper straws Mm -hmm. because they don't disintegrate. They don't melt. Um, There's steel ones. There's glass ones. There's silicone ones. There's great options. And there's collapsible ones that you could just put in your bag, your pocket. Um, So I think that that's kind of the new way of, of doing things. It's just the reusables are the best options. And again, like the good old lifting the cup to your mouth. I I really like that the best. Yeah. Yeah. It it works for me. (laughs) I was, um, on Rodeo drive recently. I like to do like a, I don't know if you would call this like an anthropological experiment, but I, I, I really enjoy just seeing the, the sort of, I avoid malls like crazy. So this is like where I go to sort of, I'm the fly on the wall that I I still refuse to go into stores. But even now during COVID, uh, you see people waiting in line to get into these stores. So like a a Gucci or Louis Vuitton or wherever. And they're waiting a long line. But uh, I bring this up because we're talking about waste. If you walk past these stores, their doors are wide open. It's 100 degrees in Los Angeles. But they're air conditioning Rodeo Drive, and it's a tremendous amount of waste. Uh, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on on because it doesn't even seem that we're. 
it seems to me that that is a no-brainer to just shut your doors. But I understand why they do it. As a person who used to run a bunch of retail stores himself, I understand why they do it. But it just seems like incredibly wasteful. There should be some sort of backlash to this, no? I mean, I think pre-COVID, if you leave your door closed and expect a, re a customer to push it and walk in, your chances of getting them in is way lower. You're right, 100%. But that also being said, like if you go to Las Vegas in the summer or even in the winter, really, but mostly in the summertime, like you are freezing inside to the point where you actually need a jacket, a coat, something. You can't just go with what you'd wear on a summer day inside any of these places. I have family that lives in Europe and that is their biggest pet peeve about America is why does it have to be so cold? Yeah. So just changing the degree of the thermostat slightly it is such a huge difference with the output of energy that we need. Mm -hmm. um, so I recommend if you can just like knock it up just a couple degrees, it changes the game, you know? Wow. Every, I don't know what the exact um, conversion is to how much waste energy is wasted, but just a few degrees up, it will make the biggest difference. And I really think like we shouldn't be that cold inside a space um, during, you know, a hot day. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to, it, if I'm walking by all of a sudden, I'm cold, even though I'm outdoors. Uh, I don't know. It just, it, it's, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, we've talked about clothing waste already. I mean, I think, what is it? Something like 88 pounds a year of, of clothing is, is thrown away on per person. For the, per person yeah. Um, uh, phenomenal. We, we, we covered that. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, you, you bring in less stuff, you get higher quality items that you feel good about wearing, avoid trends, avoid obviously. Avoid fast fashion. Yes. Let's can. talk about fast fashion a bit. Yeah, you know, right now I have a 13-year-old daughter who is like on TikTok and there's these companies where she's like, mom, can I buy this? Can I buy that? And it's like the shirt is $4 and the skirt is $7. And like, it's just like she could probably buy a whole new wardrobe for $100. And I asked her, I said, if you think that it makes sense for this item that costs this much money to arrive all the way to your house right here in Los Angeles, how much money do you think the person who's making this is getting paid? How do you think it's impacting the environment? Do you think that they're making good decisions? And she's like, it, probably not. And I said, I'd much prefer you pick one thing somewhere and be you know trendier than um and have that one thing to mix in with all the items that you have but be responsible about it you know it is so unfortunate to see the amount of advertising that's happening for fast fashion to these young kids mm -hmm. who want to look cool who want to be you know and it's affordable and it just seems like the perfect mix to keep them looking cool um we're going it's like swimming upstream uh with this stuff but you know, it, it, I think the parents out there need to really make a point at not buying this stuff for them. Just, you know, once in a blue moon, fine. But like, I'd rather get one good thing that lasts you till you're in college, right? A good sweater, a good pair of jeans, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And, and I find that uh, as a minimalist, like the clothes that I wear, I tend to enjoy much more than you know, the oversized orange sweatshirt with tassels that was in the back of the closet that I never wore, but I bought it because it might have looked okay on a mannequin in 2006. Like it, it's it, it, we 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 often make purchases that are aspirational purchases, and I think it's really it, it's really amplified by what's going on with the advertisements now on places like TikTok or Instagram. Because not only are they insidious, maybe the most insidious part is that they're highly targeted. They know everything about the the demography of the user, and then they are experts at surgically inserting the ad that that spikes your cortisol and getting it on that influencer that they all look up to i mean it's a it's yes. a really tough thing however i'll tell you one thing the most well-dressed in my opinion the most well-dressed elegant men and women in the world are in france and mm -hmm. you go to france and you go sit down in one coffee shop and it's like a fashion show in yes. front of you but guess what their culture is built upon the idea that you only buy three or four things per year and that's it and those three or four things will last you forever and they're good things and right. you just buy classic elegant things and it you just learn how to mix and match and accessorize and you never throw anything away because every single thing in your closet is good mm. and i just always remind myself of that every time you know you see a sale or something like oh let me just take a look no, wait and just think about, you know, what do I have? How can I mix in and, and build it that way? 
Let's pivot to talking about factory farming and some of the, the environmental problems with factory aye, farming. Aye, yeah, this is hard for me because um, I just was on the five freeway driving up to Lake Tahoe, which is like my heaven. Uh-huh. And um, I'm driving up there and I see that it's getting really hot. It's like 108, 109 on the road. Ooh. And I look to my right and there's these massive cattle farms and they don't have any shade. There's just brown dirt everywhere. You can see how horrible this is. Mm -hmm. You go up further and you see these little boxes that are plastic boxes with uh, a cage in front of it. And there's one bowl of water, no shade. I think those plastic boxes must have had 130 degree temperature. And that was where they were raising veal. And they're baby cows that just get to come out one step so that their muscles don't get firm. They don't get to walk, have some water and then retract back in. So I, again, did some research and I had this idea, like, what if we were able to have some kind of visibility between the end user, the consumer and the farmers? Many farmers are proud of their farms and they would happily show what's going on. But most of the time they're not proud. So why is it that we're not allowing them? Why aren't we putting pressure on them to show us what's going on? What's the temperature? What are these animals treated like? That being said, I think we also have power once again. So studies show from Oxford that if we decrease our animal protein intake by 50% per person, some say 40%, that's about eight or 10 meals a week, okay? Mm. We can completely alter the direction in which the planet is going. Mm. All these fires, all these, the Amazon, everything. Mm. So again, how easy is it? There's like huge New York Times, full page, um, you know, dedicated to vegan eating. And you're not really missing anything. So it's not like it's every meal needs to be animal protein, you know, against popular belief that we need so much. Mm. We really don't. So I believe in part-time veganism. I think it's a thing that we really need to recognize because sometimes people are just like, forget it. I can't even do it. So hands up. I'm done. I'm not even going to try. It's not all or nothing you're saying. It's not. And if again, try 40%, 25%. Start with your creamer. That's mm. what I say to everybody. Start with your creamer. Can you do? A, can you have a cup of coffee with almond milk or oat milk or, or something? black coffee. Maybe black coffee. <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah. And build from there and see what, it, what a difference it makes. You know, I think there are little modifications we can make that really don't actually take too much energy. No skin off your back. Just give it a go. Mm. And then try a meal that has no animal protein and see how that goes. And then, again, build on that and then try to sprinkle it in f- many more times during the week. And then when you are eating animal proteins, you know, a place like uh, there's a farm here in California, Belcampo, where they, you know, they even like they do field trips for kids and show them about regenerative agriculture versus factory farming and how they can actually improve the land with what they're doing with with their cows and with all of their animals. And so um, we're talking about quality of life for those animals as well versus the hideous scene that you saw driving to Tahoe where it's borderline torture. It is torture. I mean, I wouldn't even call it borderline. It is because that heat, um, biggest little farm is another movie that my family loves. It's a great documentary. It won so many awards and it talks about this, this woman and this man who got married and decided that they really wanted to buy a farm and Mm. they made the most beautiful farm with like, I think 70 different varieties of fruits and vegetables. And it is this like, total antithesis to mono agriculture where you're just seeing rows and rows of one product one item being grown which is not really sustainable no especially when those monocrops are almost always corn or soy and those aren't good for us either right i mean you can go on a vegan diet and eat oreos and palm oil and nutella and all these other things but like that's not the healthy option either we still want nutrient dense food whether we're eating animal products or 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 we're eating plants we want to make sure that what we're what we're consuming is nutrient dense it's chemical free and uh it's become a full-time job for for many of us to just try to navigate those those waters well i'll tell you this um one of the things that we really like to emphasize is that it's a much more cost-effective way to eat as well so this is not you know aside from like all the environmentalism kind of being geared towards the rich and you know the privileged 
uh, this type of eating is actually a lot easier for many people um, around the globe to partake in. You know, buying a bag of lentils mm -hmm. is so much less expensive than a steak for, you know, four people. So what I was just going to add one more little bit to this is in, in, act, in actuality, part-time veganism is a term we came up with. It's a great way to start. And there's no guilt or shame if you can't, you know, succeed that first week. Mm. This is about just an invitation to try something new and experience. A friend of mine said, Sheila, I love the way you guys do it at Habits of Weights. It's like you're on the runway with those lights with the airplane. And that's the way people usually go. And you're like, hey, look at this way. Maybe try this way and uh -huh. see how this feels. And that's our goal. It's to not make people feel bad or that there's a line between us and them and environmentalists. No, you know, I didn't grow up as an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. I just find it fascinating to look at society and, and behavior as a whole. And so for me, the, you know, the runway can maybe be a little bit further to the left or the right. Just try something new and, like and then try and then say no, but give it a go. I really like that. We've had uh, our good friend Rich Roll on the podcast. I don't know if you know Rich, but he's a, a vegan athlete and uh, just an amazing human being, brilliant man. Um, he's in his 50s now, but does triathlons. And like, I, I, I hope that I'm as fit as him someday. I wish I was as fit as him now, but he's just, he's, he's an amazing person. And uh, we, we've had him on the podcast several times. We did an entire food podcast with him. And he talked about the cost effectiveness of, of his diet. Um, and then we also, ha we brought him on with a, um, a carnivore doctor, uh, Dr. Paul Saladino, who surprisingly, even though the two of them had zero overlap on the Venn diagram of their diet, the Venn diagram of their values was very much overlapped because, you know, Paul really cared about sustainability and, and, you know, being, you know, avoiding factory farming, just like Rich did. And what I realized is that when we start making intentional choices with our food, you know, I'm like the 99.6% of the population who is an omnivore. And, and, uh, and so I, I didn't follow either one of their diets necessarily, but what I got from both of them is that they both make intentional choices with what they put into their body, and we tend to be healthier when we do that. And right now, everything is coming in all this plastic packaging, and, and there's nothing really intentional about that. We, what was the, the quote? Um, oh, uh, I think Aaron McManus said it last time we were, if you can't read it, don't eat it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a Ron Funches quote or something, but it's, uh, it, there's so many just ingredients that I can't even tell you what they are. I can't even read it, let alone tell you what it is. We can all do a little bit better, I think. And you know, perfection is the enemy of good enough. And our philosophy is that if there's this many people on the planet doing a little bit every day, I think we'll be in a better place. I agree. Absolutely. Let's see, GBC has a question here. As a musician and music lover, I, I've accumulated a lot of CDs. However, nothing I own even plays CDs anymore. So <laughs> GBC doesn't have a CD player, but a lot of CDs. I think that'll probably resonate with a lot of people. I, we, we have these things and they become obsolete. What are some good ideas for these objects as they're taking up space? I've actually seen quite a few people use them as coasters. I don't know that I'm recommending that, but... Um, the, the truth is a lot of people still listen to CDs. You can do something with them. Some, someone can find value from them still. Yeah, I, we keep ours. We have a whole bunch. The kids love it. They just get to see, what is this thing? This is it interesting for mm -hmm. them? We keep ours. And I mean, I guess I'm just not ready to get rid of them yet. Yeah. Could create art out of them. For do sure. something interesting because those will be fun to look at at some point in time, right? Maybe get a frame and like set them up, glue them in. Yeah, and the the actual artwork from the CDs it was one of my favorite parts yeah. of the whole experience. That's right, showing you, that part. Yeah, you, you could you could do you could frame that. Uh, there's certainly something you could do with them, especially if they're just collecting dust in an attic or a closet. Then then it probably is time to do something with them if they're no longer serving a purpose in your life. Jason says, "This is a confusing question to me. Um, maybe you can tell me what he means. Are solar panels bad for the environment? How is that? How could that possibly? Am I missing something here?" You know, I don't think so. There's always that argument of like whether to get the electric car because the battery is bad for the environment. So maybe he's talking about that. But okay. I think like there's always an offset. So there's always a little bit of positive um, or a little bit of negative for everything that seems very positive. So perhaps he's talking about that. But, you know, we're on our way to getting solar panels in a much less expensive way so more people can have access to it. And just doing that again, like shifting your your to solar powered energy is a huge, huge step forward so 
don't don't worry just put them in <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't seem to me like something that i would i would worry about at all i mean i get the the idea of like if you have an electric car and yes you don't want it to be powered by coal but the car is agnostic with respect to the power source mm -hmm. if coal is your only option temporarily well it doesn't mean that a year from now that it won't be something more sustainable and so uh, you have to think about that. You, you may be charging your car right now, but your car doesn't care you know, what is feeding that electrical outlet. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk uh, to Laura here. Laura says, do you think there will be a time when all companies will become environmentally aware? I try to support brands that offer healthier options for me and the planet, but it's quite pricey. Am I making that much of a difference or am I just wasting my money? I think it's up to us, Laura. Like we really do need to make our voices heard and say what we want. Let's look at Instagram for a second. How many times do you post a picture on Instagram of like your favorite meal, your favorite outfit, your, you know, sunsets? Try and use that to promote a product that you really appreciate or try and use that to talk about something that you really don't appreciate. Tag those guys, tag the companies, let them know what's working for you, what's not. Get your friends involved. Like we have to use these tools. Not all of us have multi-million, you know, person accounts on it, but every little bit counts. And if you get out there enough, get get in get get it to be a new thing where people post about stuff that make them feel good about the planet. Yeah. You know, there's only one home we have, and with the way we're going, we really need all hands on deck. So let's just post a little less about the food and the sunsets and a little bit more about stuff that really matters to us because they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the best ways to combat advertising. It's why I don't have a problem talking about certain brands on here because no one ever pays me. In fact, we don't accept anything for free. I've had quite a few brands. They offer, Hey, yeah, you've mentioned our supplements on your podcast. Where can I send you some? And, and while I'm flattered by that, and I would love to say yes, I, I, I always say no, because I don't want that to influence you know the way that I'm, what I'm going to talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. because Anytime we post about something, whether it's on the podcast or on social media, I can know that, hey, I'm talking about this because I get value from it. Sure. And if it adds value to my life, then I can't guarantee it's going to add value to yours. But I'll at least say, hey, this adds value to my life. You may or may not uh, feel the same way. Wabbit has a question for us. How can we better deal with food waste? I think we kind of talked about this. Personally, I put lots of items. Uh, I put lots of items that Goodwill wouldn't take on a sharing app called Olio. This app called Olio is like a food waste app, which I had never heard of until this question came in. Uh, food waste, uh, I mean, you talked about composting. Uh, one of the things that I, I used to do, there was a soup kitchen I worked at in Dayton, Ohio. I, I would go there on the weekends, and we would get food from Trader Joe's that was expiring that day or from you know the Kroger's grocery store that was expiring that day, and we would... You know, the food was still perfectly fine. They just couldn't sell it anymore. And we would make really good meals for people at this at the soup kitchen. So I know that's one way to, to deal with food waste. But what about our own personal food waste? So dinner plates have grown in size by about 45 to 50% since the 1950s. Oh, wow. So if you start to look, I think we have a picture on our site. But if not, it's all over the place on the, inter on the Internet. If you compare the size of a dinner plate now compared to even 20 years ago, it is exponentially larger larger. Uh -huh. That gives us the illusion that we actually need to fill this plate to be full. Right. But in actuality, our stomachs are still the same. We are we are the same human beings. Not that much has changed over the past 40 years. Sure. So one of the things I'd really look at is how big is your plate really at yeah. home? Is it a 12 incher? Is it a 14 incher? Is it 10 inches? And modify how much food you're making for that food, for that plate really. And most likely we're actually producing about 30% more food than we need to produce at home and we're throwing away that much because of that. Yeah. So that would be my first my first re request. Going to restaurants, many times they're serving you food for two. Share that meal, you know. Uh, there's no there's no shame in that. You know, get a couple appetizers for for yourselves and one dinner for to to share. That's a huge thing. We can only consume so much. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the things I would say. Yeah, I think one of the things we don't think about there is if, we're, if we bring it home and we either we're going to eat too much of it or we're going to waste it, there's a third option there, right? Is like, how about if I bring home enough, I eat enough, my family eats enough, and uh, yeah, it may look like our plate's a little bit empty, but it's because the plate is too big in the first place. Let's see. Uh, Samita has a question. I've been aspiring to live a zero waste life, but it's been tough. 
Some zero waste products just don't work for me. So I end up trying a ton of products and accumulate a lot of them. Is it okay to pick minimalism over zero waste in some situations? I don't know how you feel about zero waste, but I think it's this great aspiration. It's kind of like the one minute mile. I don't think anyone's ever going to get to a one minute mile. Um, maybe. I think it, maybe it's like, it's theoretically possible, right? If the person runs fast enough. But um, we live in a world where it's nearly impossible to have zero waste, but it's a great, it's a great objective to try to get as close, to po- uh, as close as possible to that objective, right? I just think zero waste is such a difficult goal to reach that it might, it's like the conversation we just had about veganism, that people give up before they've even started. Yeah. So um, for me, it would just be to live as much of a waste-free life as possible. Zero waste is a really tough goal. And again, I'm, I'm, among, I'm, I'm a big believer that if we all did a little bit better, then we'd you know, have a few versus a few zero wasters and then a whole bunch of big wasters. So let's get everybody to just come down all together on the the total waste and we'll be okay. So yeah, zero waste is a high pressure goal, if you ask me. And I'd rather see more people just waste less, like 50% less or big numbers like that. But, Mm -hmm. but have those few people put, you know, a lot of pressure to get to zero waste. What about the way that we subsidize certain things? I mean, uh, I wonder how much of it is a consumer problem versus a, a corporate problem. I think of uh, the water, for example. I don't know if this is this will work as an analogy for other bit uh, types of waste, but when we, when we had a drought a few years ago, and uh, it seemed to me that over 90 plus, 93 percent of the water was being used uh, you know, on a lot of farms. So, uh, But a lot of that's being subsidized to farms. It seems that like Maybe almonds should just be more expensive or maybe walnuts should be more. If it takes five gallons of water to grow one walnut, then maybe we should be charging more money for walnuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting approach. Um, it kind of reminds me of the, you know, the whole bill that was being that is trying to get passed where they're trying to put the onus of recycling costs and, you know, the responsibility on it to the you know, person, the companies that are producing these products. Mm. And um, I just hope that that would work because yeah. it does make sense. You know, it really does. Um, but again, it it is a, it, it may make that entire industry obsolete. Like maybe no one will ever buy a walnut again because it's so expensive and it does take so much to produce. I, I mean, I think that's probably fine though. If, if, if it does, if it's taking so much water and, all of a sudden an almond is $2 to buy a, a single or a single walnut or whatever then then maybe those subsidies especially because like the water that that we it's a very limited resource here especially at certain times right and so it doesn't seem to, to make sense to use it all to to grow Walnuts. It almost feels like though. It feels like our priorities are a bit off at times. Yeah, there's a lot. You're right. There's so many, you know, entangled kind of politics and different things happening behind this, especially in the meat and agriculture industry. I mean, it's unbelievably complex, and yeah. so many people have told me, Sheila, don't even go near it. <laughs> you don't, you will be so so unhappily surprised. Well, Dane has a question here. I'm curious about digital waste. I've heard there's a lot of energy consumed to store all of our photos and videos on Instagram and TikTok in the cloud. I wonder if our perception of digital clutter would change if we knew it had a literal impact on the planet. Yeah, another thing we don't even think about, right? Yeah, and I've heard about this too. I think one of the things that we could start by doing that's very simple that many people don't do is just shutting down your computers at night, unplugging things, you know, just yeah. those simple things that you're not using it, unplug it, your your toaster even, anything. It, it actually does take energy just right. being plugged in. Yeah. Uh, again, shutting down your computers and your devices when they're not in use. All those things add up a lot and those are those little habits that we can kind of change real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as the storage, it's it's interesting because I have pictures in my phone of stuff that were like 10 years ago that were in my parents' clothing business that I have photos of. And I just think like, what am I doing with these? So maybe deleting some of this stuff that we really don't need would be a great way to start too. And, and yeah. seeing what, what happens then. 
you know, we don't need a lot of this stuff just because it's digitized. You think, oh, it's fine. It's there. But I actually listened to your episode on that one time where, you know, just trying to decrease that even there because it's it, just because it's it's like not taking up space doesn't mean we need it. It's clutter in, in our yeah. minds even. Yeah, it takes up a lot of uh, space in our mind and there's a, a psychological weight. Even if there isn't a physical weight to that photo, you take a thousand fo photos with your phone. It's not like it weighs more in your phone, mm -hmm. but I feel like it weighs more up here. I have a ritual for that when, I, and although I'm uh, we're, during COVID, I'm not really flying anywhere. So, but whenever I go on a plane or if I'm taking a, a long trip where I'm in a driver's or a passenger seat with someone where I'm not driving, basically, I will just go through my, my camera roll and I'll delete anything that yeah. isn't like essential. And so, yeah, oh, it's great. You know, I took 10 photos at my, my daughter's birthday party here's the one I know I want to keep. Yeah. And it's also an exercise in letting go, but I get more value from it because it's not watered down by a thousand other photos that are just junk. Yeah. And uh, so I actually enjoy going through the camera Feels roll. Feels good, doesn't it? It does. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's freeing. It's one of those costs we don't think about. You know, So when we talk about the things we bring into our life, you talked about companies being charged for the items that we're recycling. I think that's great because that is a cost that is not associated with the price tag. Mm -hmm. You go buy the widget and it is $18 for that widget. That's the price tag, but that's not the true cost. It's, there's the psychological cost, the emotional cost, the cost of taking care of the thing, cleaning the thing, storing the thing, uh, recycling the thing, the cost on the environment. There are all these other costs that are not part of that price tag that we need to take in consideration when we bring something into our lives. Diana has a question for us. I've thought about composting, but how realistic is it for someone who doesn't garden or doesn't want a lot of equipment? Now, we talked about composting, but let's let's talk to Diana in particular. She doesn't have much of an interest in it, but knows it might be the right thing for her to do. What's What's the, f the least friction way for her to get started composting? I really think Diana should check with her city to see if she could put her compostables in the green bin. Like I mentioned earlier, it's such a gift to be able to just throw all the, you know, ve veggie scraps and fruit scraps in the composter mm -hmm. that the city takes care of. It's yeah. like you're throwing, you know, your trash, you're recycling in the blue bin, trash in the black bin, and then the green bin takes all that stuff and you don't even have to worry about it. And they get rich soil, rich compost for wherever else they need it for. So you don't even have to do it. And your cities are, many cities are taking care of that. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it's probably a good place for us to end. Where should I send people besides habitsofwaste.org? Uh, yeah. um, is there anywhere else I should send folks? Follow us at How Changers. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And at How Changers is Habits of Waste Changers. So join us in being a How Changer. That is a really um, fun little exercise. You know, we talk a lot about refuse, refuse, refuse. Um, that's our, our motto before you reuse, before you recycle, we really recommend you refuse and reduce your, your waste um, and your, you know, <clears throat> like you said, um, buying and purchasing and consumerism and all that. Just try and be a how changer with us. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for and acknowledge you for the work that you do. Thank, thank you, you so much, Sheila. I appreciate you having me. It was great. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. The Minimalists. <laughs>